What a blessing to be able to come together to worship on such a beautiful day, uh, to be able to come together and express our faith and our love for the Lord and the hope that we have because of Him. And we're thankful that you can be a part of this worship today. Last Sunday, our lesson was about spiritual heirlooms. And we talked about things that uh, are kind of part of our DNA in Churches of Christ. And one of the things that, uh, that I talked about that uh, is an heirloom that we need to cherish is what uh, is usually regarded as a high view of Scripture, meaning that we hold Scripture in high regard, that we have a very exalted view of Scripture, uh, high in the, to the extent that we actually read it, preach it, teach it, and live by it. I hope you pick that up even in our worship. Uh, we don't just have a Scripture reading. Uh, we usually have several scripture readings in our worship because it's important for us to hear directly from the Word of God. And uh, so we make uh, frequent use of that Word as well as uh, teaching and preaching and talking about it. The question is why? Why do we do that? Why do we have that kind of high regard for Scripture? Why this particular book out of all other books? Why out of all the great world, uh, the world's great literature and great religious literature. Why do we hold this one book in such high esteem? And the reason I think is, is that because we are convinced that in this book and in this book alone, God speaks to us. In this book and only in this book, do we hear his voice? And that's why we call it scripture. As Paul said in 2 Timothy 3 verse 15, the sacred writings, not like other writings, not like anything else, sacred because it is from God. We esteem the Bible because we believe <clears throat> with some regard, <clears throat> excuse me, as the audacious claim that <clears throat> in this book, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> that in this book and <clears throat> nowhere else does God reveal his will for all humanity. And we believe that claim because we're convinced. Thank you. I don't usually drink in the pulpit, but I'll make an exception. You all just talk among yourselves. And we believe that claim because we're convinced that the Bible is not of human origin. That's the root of the whole thing. We are convinced that it is a word from God himself. Now, that's what the Bible says about itself. And as soon as we start talking about that, skeptics usually raise the objection, but it doesn't make any sense to ask the Bible about itself and about its own origin. That's just going to kind of be circular reasoning. But uh, it does make sense to do that. It makes sense for us to ask the Bible about itself. Let me give you an example. Suppose we had a visitor who came in the back door today. Somebody's never been here before. Uh, somebody that none of us knows. And uh, we begin to wonder, well, who is that person? And so we observe the person's manner of dress and think we can get some clues from that. Uh, maybe we can guess from uh, their, uh, their accent, the way they speak, uh, where they might be from. Uh, we might go out into the parking lot and see if we can find their car and look at the license plate. That'd be kind of silly to do all that, wouldn't it? What do we do? We just go up and ask them. We let the person themselves tell us where they're from. 
tell us who they are. So it's reasonable to let the Bible do the same thing. Where does the Bible come from? And when you look in Scripture over and over again, you get the testimony that the Bible comes from God. 394 times in the Old Testament does the Bible say something like, the word of the Lord came to, or thus says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. 394 times that claim is made. It's not just an occasional thing. It's constant. When you look at the longest chapter in the whole Bible, Psalms 119, which has 176 verses, all but two of those 176 verses talk to us about God's word, God's law, God's precepts, God's commandments, God's statutes, God's ordinances, and God's decrees. Do you get the point? That's what Psalms 119 says about the word of God. Jesus believed that scripture came from God. Luke chapter 4 and verse 21 tells of an occasion when Jesus visited his hometown of Nazareth and he was asked to give the scripture reading from the prophet Isaiah. And he turned to Isaiah chapter 61 and he read the passage that says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and he said, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's no question what Jesus thought about Isaiah 61, that it is scripture, that it is the word from God. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 13, he said, we impart this wisdom, this divine wisdom that we have in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, words taught by the spirit. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 to 16, Peter talked about false teachers, and he said they are twisting the words, even of the letters of our beloved brother Paul, he said, and he says they do that even as they do the other scriptures. And so he was laying the letters of Paul, which had been written during his own lifetime, right alongside the other scriptures. So that's what we have over and over again in the Bible. It tells us that it is from God. What I want us to do this morning is look closely at the two texts that you have heard read. You heard one read at the beginning of the uh, service, and then you heard another one read just a couple of minutes ago. I want us to look at these two texts that speak directly to the question of where Scripture comes from. The first one is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. Now, keep in mind that 2 Timothy is Paul's final letter. He's very near the end of his life. He says in the fourth chapter of 2 Timothy that uh, the time is near, that he has uh, finished his race, he's run the race, he's kept the faith, and he knows he is about to meet his end as far as this earthly life. And he's writing this letter to prepare Timothy to carry on without him. He's trying to give him a solid foundation for preaching and teaching the gospel. And so he says in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, continue in what you have heard. Now, what had he heard and from whom had he heard it? Well, he had heard a lot from Paul because he'd been traveling with Paul and Paul had been teaching him. He'd also heard from his grandmother, Lois. And from his mother, Eunice, according to chapter 1. They were Christians before him. He's a second generation believer. And Timothy uh, 
has been taught by Paul and by his grandmother and his mother. And as a result of that teaching, Paul says, you are acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to instruct you for salvation. Those sacred writings are able to instruct you for salvation. That's what Scripture does. Scripture points us to Jesus so we can be saved. He says the Scriptures instruct you for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Scripture does for us. Then he says this, verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Some translations have the word inspired. And that's a good word, but it's not nearly as descriptive as breathed out. And that's, that's a more literal rendering of, of the Greek word itself. It is breathed out. God himself is the source of Scripture. It comes from within God in the same way that your breath and my breath comes from within us. The Scripture is breathed out by God. It is inspired by God. Now, notice that inspired is not the same thing as inspirational. Inspired and inspiring are two different things. We might become inspired uh, by reading poetry or reading one of Shakespeare's plays or by a patriotic speech or by uh, a verse of a hymn, or by listening to music, or by looking at a sunset. All those things are inspiring. They tend to lift us up. But Paul is not talking about what Scripture does to us. He's talking about where the Scripture comes from. We need to recognize that distinction. He's not talking about its effect. He's talking about its source, it, that it is inspired or breathed out by God. It reveals his mind. It communicates to us. So Paul had no doubt in his mind where Scripture came from. It came from God. Now turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 21. Peter is in a very similar situation as was Paul. Because he says in this text that he knows he does not have much longer on this earth. He knows that he said, as he puts it, his tent. He's about to leave his tent. That's literally what he says. The tent that is his body, that temporary dwelling. He says, I know I'm not going to be here much longer. And so he says in verse 14, I know that the putting off of my tent or body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. No question about that. He's not wondering if he's going to die. He's not worrying about whether or not he's going to die. He knows he's going to because that's what Jesus had told him. So in verse 12, he says he wanted to leave behind for his readers a reminder, a reminder uh, of how they're supposed to live and of what he had seen and heard from the Lord himself. Now look closely at verse 16. Peter says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And he goes ahead and tells about that occasion when he and James and John were with him on the holy mountain, that time when Jesus was transfigured in their presence, and they saw him in all of his divine glory, and they heard the voice that said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. We saw that, Peter said. 
We heard that, and now we're telling that to you. You see, what Peter and the others were relating to their readers were not myths, but memories. Not myths about Jesus, but memories. Not things they were making up, but things they had seen, things they had heard, things they had been told from Jesus himself. And he says in verse 19, we have that prophetic word made more sure. What does he mean by that? The prophetic word is the words of the prophets from the Old Testament. And we have it made more sure, he said. Why? Because we knew what the prophets had said about the coming of the Lord, but now we've seen it. And that makes the prophetic word more sure. And now we're telling you, and that makes the prophetic word more sure. And we still today go back and forth, don't we, between the words of the prophets and the fulfillments of those words in Jesus and in his life and in his teachings and in all that Scripture says about him. We have the word made more sure, he says, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Let me tell you something, folks, if you haven't noticed it. We're living in a dark place. And it's getting darker all the time. And if you don't have a lamp to guide you, if you don't have something to show you the way, there's no way you're going to make it. There's no way you're going to make it through this world. No way you're going to make it through this life. And find an eternity in God's presence. Unless you pay attention to that lamp. That's shining in a dark place. Where'd Peter get that? Psalms 119. Thy word is a lamp to my feet. And a light to my path. You and I need that light. We need that lamp desperately. Verses 20 and 21. He gives further reason to pay the closer attention he says that scripture is not the product of someone's imagination. Scripture is not just what somebody thought about God. That's what people have been writing ever since is what they think about God or what they think that God wants or what they th who they think that God is. Peter says that scripture is not a product of the imagination of any human being. He says, rather, men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Notice that, spoke from God. Once again, God is the source. Scripture is his word. The Holy Spirit is the mover. The Holy Spirit is the one who moves. And so that what these writers in Scripture produced was not their words, not their interpretation. But what they were giving us is what God wanted us to have. And the, and the verb that he uses here, that they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, is the same word you would have used about a boat being carried along on the water. Isn't that a beautiful image? They were being carried along by God's Spirit so that what they produced was God's word and not their own. Some of them were conscious of that. I don't know whether all of them were or not. But in Luke chapter 1 and verse 70, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, after all the marvelous events that transpired in the birth of his son, sang a song of praise. And Luke 170 says that God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets from of old that we should be saved 
from our enemies. God spoke, he says, by the mouth of the prophets. That was their lips moving, but that was God's word coming out. Acts 1 and verse 16, when the apostles were gathered together, they knew they had to choose a replacement for Judas, who had abandoned his office as an apostle. Peter said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Did you hear that? The Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David when he inspired David to write that psalm where he said, let his, his office let another take. And he likens scripture uh, it, to both a divine and human product. That's what scripture is. It's not only from God and it's not only from people. It's God working through people. It's the spirit motivating. It is God speaking through the voice of people. God's word speaking through human beings. That means that he took those human abilities and those human personalities and human qualities and his spirit worked through each one of them to produce a unique word. That's why all scripture doesn't sound alike. That's why John doesn't sound like Paul. That's why the book of Revelation doesn't sound like the book of Psalms. Because you have this bringing together of the moving of God's spirit through human personalities. They didn't become automatons. They didn't, you know, just suddenly their brains clicked off and they just started spouting these words. But God used who they were and worked through them. But what he produced was his word. They were carried along by the spirit so that the word they produced was not theirs. It was his. So that's what scripture says about itself. But we need to press that a little bit further. Is that reasonable to believe that? Some people would say, aren't Peter and Paul and the prophets claiming something that they believed but isn't necessarily true? Is that what's going on here? That they're, they're saying what they think is right but it's not necessarily right? To answer that, I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts. Chapter 17, beginning verse 22. Paul uh, has been preaching about Jesus in the city of Athens. And he's been brought to a place called the Areopagus before a kind of a board of review. They want to know what he has to say. They want to know what his teaching is. And here's what he says, beginning of verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live in all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring." 
Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine beings like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And to this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. I want you to notice what Paul says there. He makes four important statements about God. Number one, he says God exists and he's not an idol. God exists and he is not an idol. He's not made out of wood or stone. Number two, he says God created the world and everything in it, including people. So he's the source of all creation, of everything that's on the earth. Number three, he said that God wants the people that he has created to seek and find him. He wants us to seek and to find him. And then number four, he will judge the world for whether or not we acknowledge him through his son, Jesus Christ. So the four statements he makes about God, he exists, he's not an idol. He created the world and everything in it. He wants us to seek and to find him, and he's going to judge the world based on whether or not we acknowledge him. Now, what does this have to do with our question of whether or not it's reasonable to believe that the Bible is the word of God? Think about it. If God created us, isn't it reasonable to think that he'd want to communicate with us? Otherwise, why did he do it? Why would he create beings who have the intelligence, who have the spiritual sensitivity that human beings have? Why would he create us that way if he doesn't want to communicate with us? Secondly, if he wants us to seek and find him, how can we unless he communicates with us? If God doesn't choose to reach out to us and communicate with us, how can we seek and find him? And then third, if God exists and wants to communicate with us and wants us to seek and find him, why not through the Bible? Because it's the only book that points us to Jesus, the word who became flesh, so that we can know God. It's the only one that does that. And so it makes perfectly good sense that the claim that Scripture makes about itself is valid because we have a God who made us, a God who loves us, a God who wants us to know him, a God who's going to judge us. He's got to communicate with us some way. And what better candidate is there than the Bible? It makes perfectly good sense. Now, there's some implications from that fact that Scripture is from God. One is, it's a trustworthy message. We can trust it. You know, there may be some truth and some good things in, in all writings valued as Scripture by the various religions of the world. We shouldn't doubt that or question that. I'm sure there's some good things. I'm sure there's some truths in all of those. But unless they were breathed out by God and unless they point us to Jesus Christ, they can't help us in our spiritual search. Unless they're breathed out by God, they're not God's word. They're not completely trustworthy. And they don't point us to Jesus. Remember, inspired doesn't mean inspiring. A lot of those writings may be inspirational, but they're not inspired. You see, truth may well be a message that you don't want to hear. If you've read the Bible much, you've noticed 
that a lot of times when God spoke to people, they didn't really want to hear from him. They didn't really want to hear what he said. People don't really like to hear that they're sinners and lost and in need of a Savior. Those folks that Paul was speaking to in Acts 17, if we read just a little bit further, uh, the next verse would have said, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. They began to make fun of him for the message that he was preaching. Simply because something is something we don't want to hear does not mean it isn't true. Truth is often a message we don't want to hear. Some hear what the Bible has to say about morality and declare, that can't be right. God wouldn't say that because I don't agree with that. And they're thinking God wouldn't say that because I wouldn't say that. Truth may be a message that we do not want to hear. But what good is a religious message if it doesn't tell us the truth? A couple of weeks ago, I postponed a dental exam. I hate that. I really do. And Linda really needed to go, so, so I kindly allowed her to go in my place. <laughs> but I still got to go. I just hate it. But you know, if I go, I want the dentist to examine me and say, everything's great. You don't have any cavities. Everything looks fine. You know, nothing's falling out. Everything's where it ought to be. That's what I want to hear. But I don't want him to tell me that if it's not the truth. Right? What good's that going to do if he tells me everything's okay and it's not? Things are only going to get worse. What good is he going to do if we believe some religious message, it's not the truth. It cannot guide us to God. It cannot point us to our Savior. Typically and tragically, one of the last questions, though, that people ask about most religious beliefs today is whether or not it's true. That's one of the last things that people ask, one of the last questions they ask. Do I like it? Do I enjoy it? Does it make sense to me? Does it feel good? All those other things. Hardly ever do you hear anybody say, the first thing I want to know is, is that the truth? But let me tell you, if it's not the truth, it's not going to help you. But when it comes from the God-breathed word, it's true. And not only is it a truthful message, it's also a useful message. 2 Timothy 3.16 all scripture is breathed out by God, and therefore it's profitable, Paul says. Useful. For what? He mentions four things. Teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Only a word that originates with our creator could be entirely useful because he knows what we are and exactly what we need. And again, that may not be the message we want to hear. Notice that out of those four things Paul mentions, two of them are negative. Reproof and correction. But there are times that I need to look into Scripture and I need to, be, need to be cut to the heart because it tells me something's wrong with me. It points out to me something that I need to face up to. It points out to me a change that I need to make. It points out to me repentance that's long overdue. It's useful for that. We need to hear it. And then thirdly, because it is a message that originates with God, it is an essential message. You cannot take it or leave it. What did Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 9 to 11? We make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 
so that each of us may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, Paul said. We're going to stand before God in judgment. We need to be persuaded. And Paul sought to persuade men because he knew that they were lost, that they were cut off and separated from God. And without the message of Christ crucified and risen, they couldn't be saved this isn't something we can choose to ignore without the drastic consequences of what the Bible calls being lost, being cut off from God for all eternity. So don't ignore the message of God's word. Don't ignore the Bible's message about Jesus and who he is. Don't ignore the message about how to follow him and how to repent of your sins and be baptized into him. Don't ignore the message about godly living. Don't ignore the message that he's coming again because he is. Don't ignore the message that judgment is certain. You can't afford to. Read it. Believe it. Obey it. The Bible is breathed out by God. Why? Because God wants you to know him and live with him forever. He is speaking to you. The question is, are you listening? Let's stand together and sing.